all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This is God's words. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at that text that, uh, that Jose just read for us in, uh, in more detail this morning as we uh, continue to think about what it means to be faithful, the theme for our year, faithfulness. We're going to continue that this morning by looking at what uh, the Hebrew writer says about it, the case study of Noah, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Let's begin with a word of prayer. O oh, great Father, you have given us a portfolio, a, a, a list of, of names with their resume to help us to understand what it, what it means to be a faithful people to you, to live by faith as they did in such a way that we are pleasing to you. And what we ask, Father, is that during this period of time, as we study Your Word, that You'll give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We trust it to be so, Father, for we pray it in Jesus' name. We also ask, Father, that, that in so doing, that we will uh, be able to, to, to be moved, to be changed, that the message will go all the way down deep into our heart and soul, and that we are revolutionized in the way that we, we live in this world by it, Father, in order to bring glory to You. Thank You for this blessing in advance, Father. And thank You as always for this great ancient Word that You have blessed us with. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to begin with, uh, with a sad story that is at the same time a triumphant story, a true story that uh, happened to Ellen and me some years ago while we were living in San Diego uh, before we moved to Brazil. And it, it involves a woman that, that I think about quite often, even though Ellen and I have lost contact with her over the years. But uh, the, the story begins with us uh, hearing on the news and reading in the paper about a young woman uh, who had gotten into a domestic dispute, a domestic violent dispute with her boyfriend. And the boyfriend had become so angry that uh, with, his, with his bare hands, uh, he beats this woman to the point uh, that she went into a coma and never recovered. He, uh, he stepped out of the house and left. She was able to crawl across the hallway to the condo across the hall, knock on the door. The people came to the door. She said, help me, slipped into a coma, went to the hospital, never recovered. Two days later, there's a knock at my door. I had an office at the church there in San Diego that had an outside door to it, inside door, outside door. It was kind of a campus like we have here. And the knock came, opened up the door, and it was a woman I had never recognized before. She was probably in her 50s, maybe her early 60s, don't, don't know. She said, I, I'm here in San Diego. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Michigan. And my, my daughter has just died. Her boyfriend beat her up, and my daughter has just died. I'm a member of the church, and I don't know what to do. We brought her into the office, and we talked to her. It turned out that she was the mother of the young woman who had, who had, who had died just a day or so earlier. 
uh, we called some of the ladies of the church and they just surrounded her. And I mean, for about a week, we were involved with the police and, and with lawyers and, and just surrounded this, this woman with all of the help that we could give her. She went back, uh, went back home. Uh, Ellen and I moved on to, uh, to Brazil uh, a few, few months later. Uh, we received a letter from her uh, maybe two years after this event. And about a year after her daughter's death and after we had moved on to Brazil, uh, they had decided to retire. They, they, wanted to, they were grieving uh, heavily. They wanted to be closer to home, closer to family. So they left Michigan, moved back. It was time to retire anyway. He, he retired and they moved back to Tennessee and bought some land out in the country. And about a year after they had moved to Tennessee, her husband, it was kind of getting late one evening, he's, on the back, he's driving his tractor from, from where he had been doing some plowing back to, to their, their farmhouse when a, a car did not see the tractor at all and ran right up the back of that trailer killing her husband. And we get this letter from her uh, a month or so after the, uh, the event occurred. And she says, uh, you're not going to believe this. Describe what had happened to the husband. She said, you know, I, I never thought that my grief could go much deeper than it has. But I, I'm, I'm not sure that I've even found the bottom of it yet. But one thing I know is that in, in all of this tragedy, I have felt more closely the presence of God. And I know that I'm going to be okay. But I ask that you continue to pray for me. I think about her a lot. I think about the, the kind of faith that she is trying to describe to us as best she can in this, in this letter with pen and paper in the midst of all of the tragedies that she has, has experienced, she's able to describe her faith as, I'm not sure that I, I've seen the worst of it yet, I've, that I've entered into the darkest part of the house yet. But this I know, I will be okay. Because God is near me. How do you, how do, you do that in a very practical way? To, to go through that kind of tragedy, the kinds of unspeakable horror, the kind of unspeakable suffering that, that this woman went through with, with the kind of poise, the kind of posture that she did where she is able to smile again and she is able to go on with her life and to not be defined by that pain, by that suffering, and by, and by the cruelty and the, the, the cruel unfairness of it all. Well, one of the things that, that I believe is true with all of my heart is that the Christian faith is more than just thinking. Because the Christian faith, the, the message of the Gospel, is more than ideas. It is a power. That's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Of course he's not ashamed of the Gospel. One of the reasons that Paul says he's not ashamed of it, that he will go everywhere and anywhere to preach it, is because it is a power. It is a power that, of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. 
And then Paul's going to write to this church in Colossae and say, you know what happens when the message of the gospel, the message of the Christian faith got deep down into your heart? God put His Spirit inside of you? That the message of the gospel somehow became not just this intellectual exercise, but it went all the way down into your soul that it changed you. And Paul will say to the church in Colossae that somehow that gospel that is on the outside got on the inside of you and went all the way down that it moved you and it changed you and it's bearing fruit in your life. Again, the question is, how does that happen? How does it happen for the church in Rome? And how does it happen for the church in Colossae? And how does it happen to our sister who now lives in Tennessee? How does it happen for us? The key, I think, is this. You have to stop just pondering it. And you have to start living it. You have to start living that faith. You never stop pondering the mystery, the greatness, the depth, the, the, the profoundness of the gospel and all that that, that that entails. The way that God has brought you into His holiness through Christ. You never stop pondering the richness of that. You'll never plumb the depths of that. But there comes a point where this piece of knowledge, whatever it might be, the expanse of your brain, that whatever it takes, becomes something that you begin to live. You let it in and you live on it. It's one of those places where all of a sudden in life you realize, you know what, I need to start living a certain way because I know that I'm not the king. He's the king of the universe. Or I've got to stop making the, the decisions about my life and the way that I'm going to respond to certain things or the kinds of things I'm going to achieve in my life because they're really not going to save me. I'm not the Savior. He's the Savior. And instead of that just being something that resides just in your head, it gets all the way down into your heart where you, you just don't ponder it, but you live it. You just don't speak with your lips. Yes, He's King. Yes, He's Lord. Yes, He's Savior. And you begin to live those truths every, every, every day. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11 is so important to us. It's a case study, as we've been saying this month, it's a case study on how this happens. By faith they built, on, by faith they saw, by faith they constructed, by faith, and today it's by faith Noah. And Noah shows how faith leads to a conviction about life and how that leads to becoming a faithful individual. And there are three things that we'll see under this one verse, verse 7 of Hebrews 11, that tells us about Noah. Noah believed God, he condemned the world, and he hid in the ark. He believed, he condemned, he hid. First, Noah believed God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, at the very beginning of that verse, by faith Noah, when what? When he was warned, which means that he was spoken to by God, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now, one of the things that just uh, hits me every time I read that verse is that, is that for, for Noah, the Christian faith was not merely believing in God. It was believing God. Now, you have to start with that believing in God. That's what he says in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He what? That He exists. You, at some point, you come to the place where you believe that there is a God. You believe that He exists, but you have to move on from that. Now, what does it mean 
must believe God. Not just believe in God, but believe God. Here's a quick definition. What God says gives you the definition of reality. Whatever it is that God says to you, that becomes the way that you define reality rather than what it is you feel in your heart or what it is that you might see. And again, Hebrews chapter 11, this particular uh, text on Noah becomes the case study. God comes to Noah one day. And He says to Noah, there is a storm that is coming. There's this dark storm that's coming. It's a storm that is going to be deep in despair. It's going to be mighty in destruction. And it's going to be, in some ways, omnipotent. It's going to be more powerful than any force you have ever seen. And it's going to sweep away everyone and everything. Noah, you have to get ready. You have to build this ark. Noah believes in God. But he also believes God. And Noah, on the basis of that warning he received, builds an ark for years. For years, he builds an ark in the middle of nowhere. And you know what's happening every day? The birds are flying in the sky and they're chirping. And the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And the sun is shining and the flowers are blooming and the trees are bearing fruit. And every day he encounters people that are going about their business. They're laughing and they're singing and they're breaking the Ten Commandments. But every day it's the same. And Noah, in essence, builds an ocean liner in the middle of West Texas for years. Why? Those magic words. He was moved in holy fear. Now, this is not a fear in the sense of, of being panic-stricken or, or a, you know, becoming so, uh, you know, uh, paralyzed through, through, and paralyzed through this great fear, this being afraid of God. But what this, this fear is, is a, is a holy awe at the one who is delivering this word. It is, it is a, a, a reverent focus on the one who is speaking, the God who exists. Now the difference between Noah and everyone else is that no one else trembled. No one else trembled until the water got to the rooftops. Noah trembled when God did but speak. Noah is saying, I'm not going to be defined by what I feel or by what I see. I'm going to be defined by what it is that God tells me is reality. It's God's Word, His speaking to me, His presence, my interaction with Him that is going to define reality. He says, I'm not going to be defined by, by the birds chirping in the air or the sun shining or the people because none of that is going to last. It's not going to last. I will be defined by what God says. I believe God. And that's faith. A quick application here on how this kind of works for us. You know, how, how is it that you're able to get to this place where, where Noah is at? Well, let's take for instance... Are you eaten up with bitterness? Simple, and it's common. 
bitterness in your life. You've been wounded by someone or by something. We'll say someone. And you've come to that place in your life where you're just sick of being sick. You're just tired of being tired and sick of it all. But you don't know how to move on. You want to move on, but you don't know how. You've been wounded and deeply wounded in your heart. You want to move on, but you don't know how. The question is, what really moves you? What is it in your life that really moves you? Now, in this context of, of, of bitterness, is it the things that you have that are seen, the seen wounds that have been inflicted by another, is that the thing that really moves you, or is it the unseen wounds of Christ that are for you? I think you have to look at the cross. And you have to look at all of the things that Christ has done for you. Do you believe it? Are you moved by what you see in the truth of the cross and the, and the effect of the cross on your life in such a way that it makes you able to forgive the things that are, are seen because you've been moved by the things that are unseen? That's how you learn how to forgive, to move on from bitterness. It, when you're stuck in bitter, bitterness, it's because you're focused. The reality is the thing that is seen. The wound that is felt. Noah was able to see what was unseen and believed that with such profoundness that for years he was able to deal with people laughing at him as he built that ark. When you do that, when, when you get to that place where it's the things that are unseen that move you, that's where that freedom comes into your life. Noah looked around and said that he would not be controlled by anything that he saw, regardless of how appealing or appetizing it might be. And that is the power of faith. It's not believing in God, but believing God. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is, Noah condemned the world. That's part of verse 7 as well. By faith, he condemned the world. Now, when we, when we see that word condemned, there's a couple of things that pop to mind. We think of Noah maybe getting up and, and denouncing the world or scolding everybody that walked by. I, I don't think that that's what the writer is getting at, even though I think that Noah, when, when, when pressed in his faith, would, 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 certainly, would certainly explain the rightness of what he was doing in terms of faith in God's presence. But let's just step back for the text for just a moment and let's ask the question, what does it mean to condemn? To condemn really means a couple of things. The first thing it means is that when you condemn something, you prove it to be wrong. To condemn it is to prove that it is wrong. And then the second thing is to stand against it. And quite frankly, church, this is where the faith becomes a conviction. Something from the outside comes into you and it changes you to the point that it becomes a conviction. And it becomes a conviction in the sense that it helps you to discern. It helps you to understand what is right and what is wrong. And at the same time, becomes that power that enables you to stand against it. I mean, think about all of those years when people had never even seen rain. And Noah is building this ark because it is going to rain. This omnipotent rainstorm is going to come and sweep everything away. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. And they're laughing at the foolishness of him. But Noah's reality was in the Word of God Himself. And by that Word, through faith, by faith, he was able to condemn 
that which stood against God and to continue to stand against it even though they were laughing at him. At building this ocean liner in the middle of West Texas. He believed that God was the reality. And the result was, and this is the heart of the Bible, and we see it in two pictures, Noah was able to hide in the ark, or he hid himself in the ark. Two pictures here. And, we're, and, and there, there's, there's a part of me that, that, um, that just wants to spend the rest of the day with these two pictures. We don't have time for it. I'll give them to you quickly. But the first one is this. Picture one is that of an heir. Of an heir. An heir of, of righteousness that is by faith, according to Hebrews 11. What is an heir? I mean, you know, we, we hear that word a, a lot, and we, we know about inheritance and, and, and something like that, but, you know, very simply put, an heir is someone who gets rich by somebody else. You receive what you did not earn. Here's an example. Here's this woman who, who goes off to college. She learns economics. She learns business. She has a little bit of money saved, and because of her talent and because of her, 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 her work ethic and because of, of the way that she works the market, she comes into a couple of million dollars. And during this period of time, she gets married and she has, she has children. And she continues through the years with, with her family. She continues to, to accrue wealth by her talent, by what is she, she's able to earn by her work. And then one day she is no longer with her family. She, she passes on. And what happens to that wealth? It gets passed on to her children. Another way of thinking about it is the children become rich because of the relationship that they have with their mother. Now the big difference between Christianity and every other religion that is in the world is that every other religion in the world says, that, well let me say it this way, there's no difference in any other religion from Christianity. We all talk about getting saved. The difference is in how. Every other religion in the world will say, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do it for X number, you achieve this kind of, of reality in your life, you achieve these kinds of steps in your life, and you will be saved, you will be accepted. You have performed the right way, and now you will be embraced. You will be accepted into whatever that vision of God is, that vision of salvation is. Christianity is completely different. Christianity is, is about what you receive from somebody else as and heir. Most religions are about creating a wealth of moral living and a treasury of righteousness, and then that's the thing that you leave to God. Christianity is different in that first you don't do something in order to get in, but it's something that you receive by faith to get in. And that is what makes you an heir. It's the thing that comes to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Of the righteousness that what? The righteousness that what? Comes. It comes to you. How does it come to you? It comes to you by faith. It's this righteousness that you don't earn, but it makes you every bit as beautiful as Christ in the eyes of God. Which leads to a second picture. Picture two is the ark. Flood is coming. The flood is coming. And no one is going to be able to survive because it's God's judgment. You read Genesis chapter 6 and the world has just become so corrupted that God has grieved in His heart that He's even made it. Judgment is coming. And nobody is able to survive it because it's God's judgment. And you know, there's a flood coming today. The flood is coming. 
there will be a judgment. And who can float? Who can float in God's judgment? We all know deep down in our heart that we're all going to sink. That we're all going to be pulled down to the bottom. Except one. Except one who can float. In fact, this one can walk on water. And spiritually, we hide ourselves in this ark, which is Christ. In the ark, which is Christ, the water that crushed everyone else is the same water that lifts you higher and raises you to heaven. Peter says, sees the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 20, he says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the what? The ark was being built. And in it, that is the ark, only a few people saved, eight and all were saved through the water. You know, when you go back to Genesis, the, you know, at the end of that account, there is the putting of the rainbow in, in the sky. And the first thing we normally think of when we see that rainbow or read about that rainbow is that this is God's promise that He will never, ever lose His temper again, that He feels pretty bad about what He did in destroying the earth. He puts the rainbow as a sign that He's never going to lose His temper ever again. Well, that's, that's not what that rainbow is. The rainbow becomes the sign that Christ is going to take the destruction so that we don't have to. And that's why when you're in that ark, you can handle anything. That's why you can handle anything. You're in that ark. And here's Noah in that ark, the 40 days and 40 nights of raining, and then you know, it, all of the floodwaters, and Noah is able to look out that window and he's able to smile. Why? He's in the ark. And because he is in that ark, the ark is what is going to take the storm. The ark is what's going to take that pounding rain. It's the ark that is going to take everything that is thrown at it. And as, and, and as, those, <clears throat> as those waters get deep and destruction and judgment begins to fill the earth, what is it that happens to Noah the eight in all that are inside of that ark that is taking the beating for them, they are, as the rains come down, they are raised up higher and higher and higher to heaven. And that's why Noah, by faith, can smile at whatever it is that comes at him. He's in the ark, which is Christ. The one who took all of the destruction and took all of the foreboding judgment of God upon Himself so that we did not have to. But we, because of that, can become heirs of righteousness through faith. And when we stop believing in that, but start believing that, then regardless of what comes at us in this life, in terms of intense, profound suffering and grief and tragedy, things of which we don't even want our imagination to take us to. So sad are they. We know that regardless of the storm, it threatens to sweep everything away. That in the ark, we can smile. And by faith, and by faith, by faith, survive it all. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be painful. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt and that it won't cause us to tremble in, in suffering and agony at times. 
but were not swept away. Stan's going to lead us in a song. Maybe you're struggling some things in your life right now that that are, 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 are very tender to you. And you need the prayers of our church family to, to pray strength for you and to pray that you become really aware of God's presence. That those things that you know to be true about God, all of those promises that are found in the Bible, for them not to be just stuck in your heads, but become a reality in your heart as you begin to live your life in the presence of God, believing God, not just believing in God, but believing God every day. And whatever storm it is, you can face it. Because whatever it is that comes at you, in reality, it only lifts you higher and higher to heaven and to God Himself. Or it might be that you have never put on Christ in salvation. You have never hid yourself inside of the ark, which is Christ. There is a storm that is coming. There is a flood that is coming that will sweep away everything. It is God's judgment. And the only place of safety, the only place where you can weather that storm is in Christ. And we would ask that you would confess that Jesus is Lord and that you would make a very serious decision about the direction of your life and that you would be baptized, your sins being washed away as you participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And God putting His Spirit in you to help you live that life that you were always supposed to live the light that looks like Christ itself. If that describes you this morning, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and speak to them about any of these things on your heart as we stand and sing this song together. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love.